Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 382. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of FinTech Nexus. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service, FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest fintech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the 10 most important fintech stories into your inbox every morning. And we have special editions for Latin America as well as UK and Europe. Stay on top of fintech news by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Laura Merling. She is the Chief Transformation and Operations Officer at Arvest Bank. Now, we actually talk about what that title really means, but she was brought into Arvest to help transform the bank, and she's in this multi-year process right now, and it's just been so interesting to me to learn how she's going about this process, how the bank is trying to transform there. They're not a small bank, you know, 26 plus billion dollar bank. They are going through a a complete transformation. And, you know, we talk about the technology side of things, obviously, but we also talk about the people side, which is just as important. Um, Talk about some of the, the wins that they've had along the way, how they're able to compete with some of the the larger fintechs, as well as the the money center banks. And we talk about what's sort of coming down the pipe and how this transformation process is going to unfold. It was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's get it started uh, by giving the listeners a little bit of background. You've had a very interesting career working at some of the Uh, the biggest brands on the planet, I would say. So you came from Google to Arvest. So tell us a little bit about your career journey to date. It has been a a journey. I spent the first 15 years of my career in software and technology. So up and down the the stack from databases. So back in the day of, of Sybase, all the way to middleware infrastructure and software development tools. So Spent that 15 years and then got into the wide world of APIs. And in that space, what was interesting was we spent the majority of our time actually trying to figure out how to convince industries or customers why they needed APIs. Like, here's how you're going to make new revenue using these APIs. This was 2006. So the only people back then that knew what an API was were really a bunch of startups. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was trying to teach people so I could sell them API management software and ended up then getting recruited to go lead a organization at Alcatel-Lucent. And so that's how I got into telecom. So I went from software industry into uh, telecom, which was one of the first industries to really get disrupted by startups, was telecommunications. Mm-hmm. And so um, went from there to AT&T. They acquired my team and the, the product we were building and then had an opportunity to go do work at Ford. And that was taking what I'd learned at AT&T with connectivity and APIs and bringing that to uh, autonomous and connected vehicles. And then went from there to do aircraft and connected aircraft. So it was always around industries going through disruption. And a lot of it had to do with, at the genesis of it, I'll say connectivity and APIs, right? And so how do you think about embedding your business elsewhere? and creating an ecosystem of partnerships. 
that's kind of how I got through those and ended up in industry and then took a little bit of a turn back into, you know, I did consulting and then Google thinking, oh, I wanted to advise people more because I could have more of an impact. And then I was like, yeah, I miss doing things. Right. Advising is okay, but it's better to be a doer. And so I switched back into do mode. Arvest reached out to me and financial services is going through disruption and disruption is here to stay. And Arvest was well positioned to be excited about disruption and what it could mean for them and, and for the industry. Can I just dig into that for a little bit? Because you had a job at Google and that's obviously a great company, very well respected globally. Arvest, while they're they're a decently large bank, they're not a national name that you'd recognize. So what was it about Arvest that attracted you, that led you to jump from Google? I get asked that often. I've spent most of my career doing transformational things. Even when I first got out of college, I was doing transformation uh for Pepsi when I was in college and doing things with handheld devices. So if you remember the Palm Pilot, like Mm -hmm. went to transformation for a long time. (laughs) But most companies that do transformation go into it not knowing the risks or knowing how willing their organization is to do transformation. So you kind of walk into what seems to be a change in transformation agenda without... And I don't want to say without commitment because there's good intent. It's more about a lack of awareness of what it really means. And what was interesting about Arvest that nobody that I had ever worked for had done was they did a survey of their entire organization prior to finding you know me or getting this role. And the survey was basically, how ready are you for disruption, right? It was their drive change survey. And what's your readiness for change? And they had insights going into, so, you know, meet with them in the first interview and they're talking about, you know, well, we know X percent of our associates are really opposed to transformation and they they mostly sit in, you know, these areas of the business. And we know this group, yeah, they're kind of lukewarm about it. And we know these folks are really into it and we have full commitment. I found that super interesting. They also knew that it wasn't going to happen overnight, that there needed to be a commitment for a multi-year journey. I think a lot of times folks are looking for quick wins, quick flips, or quick results. I think knowing the history of the bank and watching others go through transformation in other industries, they had a level head about what it was going to take. And so for me, you know, I said I wanted to go do things. And at Google, I was I was doing stuff, but I was more supporting like an advisory role as a CDO to kind of other companies and advisory capacity, this was actually like, hey, I actually get to go do it in a company that's ready for change and ready for the impact and knows that it's a multi-year opportunity. So for me, that was you know, two things that when you look for all the stars aligning in your career to go do something really cool in an industry that's getting disrupted, uh, all the stars aligned. That's really great because I mean, I think there are a lot of large banks out there, small and medium size as well, that that say they want to do transformation and they may even have like a a chief digital officer or a chief innovation officer or something like that. And you just don't see a whole lot of change happening. It's interesting the way that they frame that for you. So maybe we could just talk a little bit about your role. You, Your LinkedIn says you're the chief transformation and operations officer. I know what a chief operations officer is. What's a chief transformation officer? I mean, you kind of touched on it, but I'd love to get your definition. It's more than just being about 
a digital transformation, right? It's people, process, and technology. Right. That is why it's a whole transformation and not chief digital officer. It's everything from setting the strategy of where do we want to be in five years? What do we want to be known for? And then based upon that, what do we need to do on across people, process, and technology? And a lot of the transformation components, honestly, start with transforming the processes. Mm-hmm. What do customers need from us? What do they expect? Looking from the customer-centric view, customer in versus bank out. It's an unlearning. <laughs> it's an unlearning and then a relearning. But if you don't do that, you know, you could do digital transformation all day long. But if you take a current process that you're doing and you automate it with RPA, just because you've automated it doesn't make it better. You've taken a bad process and you've automated a bad process. So what you have to do is rethink that process from a customer view in. And so that's why it's transformation because they wanted it. They wanted to make a, a statement about, look, this isn't just about a technology transformation. It's much bigger than that. Right. So then being outside of banking, do you see that as an advantage? Or, I mean, obviously there's a learning curve you'd have in any vertical, but I'm curious to kind of get your perspective on the fact that you you don't know what these processes are necessarily. So how has that been an advantage? There's moments where it's an advantage and moments where it's a disadvantage. It's mostly an advantage <laughs> because you you don't have a pre-set notion of how something is supposed to work, right? And so you can ask questions about why something works a particular way, or you can reposition something in terms of of how you ask the question or ask about it. It was interesting. That was a lot. My first by 90 days here or so, a lot of folks were like, gosh, I never thought about asking that question in that way because you get a different answer, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's been really kind of fun and enlightening in both directions for this as we've gone through the through the journey. I think it's also bringing experiences of other industries that have gone through disruption. So if you look at some of the some of the recent hires we've made, it's also been people outside of banking that have been in other industries that have been through disruption. And part of that is knowing what might be ahead next, knowing what roadblock might be coming. Again, is it a person? Is it a process? Is it the technology? So having that kind of line of sight to that also helps. And then thinking outside the box, right? Things that we did back at AT AT&T moons ago to reduce calls to the call center apply here to the bank today, right? Mm -hmm. How do we reduce calls to the call center? You can take lessons learned and bring them along from other industries. Right, right. Well, before we go any further, we should have you describe the bank, you know, 90-second description of what is Arvest Bank. Arvest Bank is a community bank based in a four-state footprint, and primarily in a four-state footprint. So our physical branches and the majority of the offices are between Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Kansas. And then we do have some broader reach across the 50-state footprint with other services like mortgage servicing, and we have an equipment finance business and things like that. It's about $26 billion in in assets, a little over that. And so we've been around for about... The original bank itself has been around about 100 years, but under current ownership has been about 60 years. I presume the the different business lines are pretty typical for a bank of this size. They're doing a lot of real estate. Can you just maybe run through the different business lines? So we have, of course, the retail business. And when you think about that, I mean, your traditional deposit products, we have a wealth management division. We have a mortgage division. We have a title division. 
We also have equipment finance as a division. So on the commercial side, we do commercial loans ranging from small business loans all the way up to large-scale construction projects and equipment financing. And uh, as you might expect, agriculture, living in the heartland. Mm -hmm. So agriculture loans, road crops and, and cattle and poultry, things like that. So it's a pretty broad range. Right, right. Okay. So then you've been in the job, what is it, like nine or 10 months now, I guess? You said this is a multi-year process. I mean, have you had any early wins or what have your priorities been? You know, everyone talks about a 90-day plan, but we did spend the first 90 days kind of just assessing what we had. So it was, where are our strengths in the business? Who are our customers? What do they look like? What channels do they prefer? We looked at the technology stack and did an entire technology assessment. We hired a third party to come in and do a full assessment. We looked at all the metrics that we were using in our governance structure and then put in place a plan for where we wanted to go. Some of the things that we're doing are foundational. If you want to build a framework for where you're going, there's some underlying technology components that need to be in place. So for example, we are working on our new core banking platform. We based it on Thought Machine. We're building our first set of loans that will be on that platform. And it's the loans that are core to the business, right? So think some of the commercial lending aspects. We also did a partnership. Most recently, we announced with Google. And that is to get us both the infrastructure at scale um, and being able to meet the demands of the business and customers, but also building out a new data platform, right? So, you know, everybody talks about being able to do things with AI. They want to do artificial intelligence and machine learning. You can't do it if your data is not in a place that gives you the ability to access it or if it's not clean. And so it's thinking about what do we need for real-time data versus data at rest? What systems they need to go to? What data pipelines do you need to create? So we really kind of started on foundational things while we know where we're trying to get to. So that's what we've spent a lot of this year is, is building out foundational aspects of the bank to support the future state. Right, right. Sure. So I want to just touch on Thought Machine. We know those guys really well. They also are doing a deal with Chase, uh, JP Morgan Chase, that was quite well covered in the industry. But that's a big decision and it's a big process changing out a bank core of a $26 plus billion bank. What's it actually going to do to help you compete in the market? So I think part of it is rethinking how we approach that new core banking platform. And again, it goes back to flexibility, new services, new capabilities. You know, they have a thing called the smart contract where you can rethink about how you think about products and productization and what those offers are. For us, it's if we look forward, we need to be able to keep up with the changing needs of our customer base. And really, it gives us that ability to do that and own it. Now, again, with great flexibility comes great accountability, <laughs> right? And so it's making sure also that we take lessons learned from the past. And while we could highly customize things, where does it make sense to customize and where does it make sense to standardize? So we are looking at it through both lenses. But we, we're looking for that flexibility that we want in the business and keeping up with demand and changing times versus having to wait uh, for someone else to give you a new service or capability. Right, right. Understood, understood. So I want to go back to something you said earlier, like when you said Arves did this survey of their entire employee base. You know, there were some people that were totally on board, some were lukewarm and some were not on board. I'm curious about how you are getting the people who are not on board or lukewarm, 
How are you getting them to really embrace what you're doing? It has been, you know, and it will continue to be a process. A lot of it has to do with communication. We spend a great deal of time communicating every step of the way, everything that we're doing. The company is extremely transparent to the associate base. The work we were doing with Google inside the company, people knew much sooner than when we announced it because what we wanted to be able to do was show a win. We're like, look, we've done this partnership. We want to make sure we have some success under our belt before we go do it. We had the platform stood up, the foundations of the platform, and we'd already migrated our first two applications over by the time we did the announcement. We've looked at putting things in 90-day buckets of wins. Normally, when you think about a a bank, they'll do things in maybe big projects, like long duration. It's going to take two years, 18 months. One of the things that I started when, when I got here was this notion around quick wins. It is, what can you do in 90 days that moves us towards our future state but has an immediate impact where we can show a result. We did a vulnerability study, which says, you know, how at risk are you? It's different than MPS. Uh, It shows how at risk are you of losing customers, right? And we did it for us and we did it for others in the industry, all sizes of of banks, both in, in our footprint and outside. And when we looked at that, you know, we found some things where we were like, okay, these are risks. How do we go fix them? We had seven key rocks in our shoes that led to 14 plus projects. Those projects got done in 90 days and some took a little longer, but most of them were in 90 days and they all had measurable outcomes. So for example, one of the things that we we worked on was addressing some issues that customers had that were forcing them to call the contact center. We were able to resolve uh, one of those pretty quickly. And within probably 30 days afterwards, we were seeing a reduction in calls to the contact center by about a thousand calls a day. That is a level of operational efficiency that solves the customer pain point on twofold. One, they didn't have to call the contact center. And for those people that really did need to call the contact center, they now don't have as long of a wait time. So it was finding those things where we could get quick wins and show results and then track and measure those results on an ongoing basis. It's showing the progress. And then it's about making sure people feel a part of it. We do a monthly transformation talk. We bring in different teams that are working different pieces of the transformation. Everybody across the bank is invited. It is then recorded. We did a whole skills assessment and we created a whole reskilling and upskilling program that starts initially with the technology organization and then we'll move across the rest of the bank. But it is a true, here's an assessment. Here's the outcome. Let's put together a plan. Let's work on what you want to do. Like we had somebody that was in an architecture role and now wants to be in a product management role. And so they're now taking the learning, they're on a learning path towards towards product management. It opened up people's opportunities to a long-range future at the bank. And it's helping us get some of the skills we need moving forward. So sorry for the long answer, but it's a complex problem to solve. And yeah. it's multifaceted. Yeah, no, I can see that. So I want to talk just briefly about competition because you'd mentioned it. And obviously there's the fintech competition. You've got the chimes and barrows and, and blocks of the world that are offering new products digitally. And then you've got the the larger banks that are all looking to keep expanding their footprint. And so you've got competition coming from multiple sides. How do you view the bank as being able to you know, combat those dual competitive threats or multi-competitive threats, shall we say? Yeah, I think it goes back to being hyper-focused, right? And being vigilant on that focus. So 
through our research and study, we know where our gaps are, both on our retail side of the business, as well as on the commercial and small business aspects. And we also know where our strengths are, right? So we know our strengths, think about it in agriculture, as an example, we're number 17 in the country. How do you leverage that as a focus? What else falls around that? What are adjacencies? Um, So for us, it's taking where we have our strengths and leveraging those and really focusing on them. For where we have our vulnerabilities, it was really important for us to understand those so we can make sure that we were at least competing on par. And part of that is making sure that we have the technology stack and capability to even make sure that we're competing. Where do we want to compete and where do we want to lead? And where do we just, we're okay with, you know what, we're doing the same thing all the other banks are doing. um, And we are at least competing on par with everybody else. It's a process, but it's figuring out where your focus is going to be. And I think a lot of banks figured that out. I mean, if you think about how fintechs have taken different pieces of the market away from the larger players and and even smaller community banks, people that have existed for a while, is they're hyper-focused, right? When they come into market, they're usually focused in an area and that's a niche. And they hyper-focus. And so it's about us getting back to hyper-focus on things where we are very strong. Okay, so the bank has been um, recognized in multiple different ways. I noticed that you were on Forbes' uh, list of best employers in 2022. You've been part of the world's best banks list multiple times. So, I mean, I imagine that really helped you make the decision to jump ship. It wasn't just a an organization that was floundering in any way. I'm curious about what you think that's part of the culture that leads to those kinds of awards. It's interesting because you'll tell people that the culture is different during the interview process. And they told me that. And even the folks that I've been been bringing in and uh, some other folks that we've hired recently, it's hard to describe, but I will tell you that the culture is one of The associates here all really put the customer first. I mean, they will go to the nth degree to help a customer. And I think that that customer centricity, companies talk about it. (laughs) The bank lives it. It's a community bank, right? We're there. It's about building relationships. And you can see that through every aspect of the bank from the back office all the way to the teller. And people are just genuinely nice and they want to make sure everybody's successful whether you're the teller or whether you're the person, you know, processing loans on the back end, everybody's there to help ensure that the customer gets what they need and that they're successful. And so I think the relationship aspect of being a community bank is really what will help us be successful and differentiated. And I think for us, we're trying to figure out that as our strength, how do we continue to be the community bank in a digital world that continues to be focused on relationships? You know, I think that that's part of the culture that's really strong and appealing. Right, right. When I was doing research for this interview, I uh, I read about the Million Meals Initiative. Can you share what that's all about? I'm probably not the best person to ask you- about that one. <laughs> this is really about feeding the community. Again, it goes back to we feel very strong and very tight with our community and the people in the community that we service. The Million Meals program is just one program of many, right? We donate to local schools and other local initiatives. And so the Million Meals one is just another, it's a a very big one, (laughs) but it's about feeding and helping and supporting our communities. So I love that aspect of it. It's, It's interesting when you think about the whole Go Local movement. Banks like Arvest are already local and they're hyper local. And, 
you know, other companies want to be local. <laughs> There's large retailers trying to be hyper-local. And so we've got that covered. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So I mean, you guys are based in Bentonville, Arkansas, obviously the home of Walmart. And I believe that you guys are owned by the Walton family. We also now own my football team, the Denver Broncos, but that's, we'll leave that <laughs> to one side. Um, so I guess question is, is the Walton family involved? I, mean, I believe one of the Waltons is chairman, but are they involved in the day-to-day running of the bank? So Jim Walton is the chairman. The Waltons are shareholders of the bank, but the day-to-day running of the bank is left to the bank executives, right? It's really run and operated by Kevin Sabins, the CEO, and then the rest of the executive committee run the day-to-day operations of the bank. Right. right. Okay. So uh, last question before we close then, I mean, you've got this pathway ahead of you. You know, I imagine it's it's not going to end, right? You don't suddenly finish transformation and you're done. But I'd like to get like a little bit of commentary about the path forward and uh, maybe some upcoming initiatives that you're excited about. <laughs> oh, my, my roadmap. <laughs> to your point, transformation's ongoing. I think for us, we think there's more to do in things like the contact center. So when we think about contact center as a service, right? We think about things around consistent channel experience. So one of the interesting pieces of feedback that I think isn't just for us, but it was a vulnerability across all banks is inconsistency across channels. So the experience, whether I walked into a branch or called the contact center or used an ATM or used my mobile device, um, the experience wasn't consistent. And Mm -hmm. so thinking about what that means and how we address that is definitely an area of one of the things I'm excited about and, and what that means and what we can do to transform it. The other thing that was interesting was a lot of times folks talked about, they'll say they want longer branch hours or more ATMs or more access. But what's really interesting is those same folks were the same people that also said that they preferred a mobile channel. Right. And so what was interesting was because they couldn't do the full breadth of things on a mobile device that you might be able to do in your other channels, they're like, well, I need more long, I need longer hours, <laughs> right? By the way, whether I'm a, a consumer or whether I'm a small business or a commercial customer, during your bank hours are the hours that I'm working as well, right? right. So it's thinking about, again, how do you keep relationship banking in, in the community world? And, and we're looking at, well, so if we do the digital aspects, how do we still keep it personable? But one of the things that has gone over really well in the in the market so far is uh, our ATMs with Live Teller, right? So it's a combination of digital and physical, and people love it. I mean, the feedback has just been phenomenal. Um, so I think it's it's doubling down on on those types of things while we continue to work on the foundation. You know, one of the reasons we partnered with Google was for their expertise in artificial intelligence and machine learning, Mm -hmm. both the platform as well as the teams and the knowledge. And so figuring out where we can use that to create better experiences and more operational efficiency. We believe that we have to start with some of the back office to really, you know, anytime you can improve operational efficiency, you're really probably solving a pain point for the customer. So we're trying to figure out how do we take out that pain out of the the back office as a starting point as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll have to leave it there, Laura. Really fascinating conversation. It's been great for you to share uh, some of this journey that uh, our vest is on and um, let's stay in touch. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
You know, as much as I love financial innovation, I think the thing that just uh, kept on coming up for me in this episode was the, all about the people. Like the transformation has to be a technology component, that's for sure, and that's really important. And she talked about some of the things they're doing there. But if you don't have the people on board, and that's you can really see that Arvest go out of their way to make sure that their people are very centric to this process. This is, uh, you know, they talk about the different ways that they're helping people cope with the change, helping them not just cope, but upskill and helping them become a, a more valuable member of the, of the team. And I thought that was just super interesting. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.